I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Hello. This is Michelle. Hello. (laughs) And this is Spaces Podcast. Thank you for coming back, everyone. Uh, thank you for, for listening. Today we are talking about amusement parks. So decided uh, that we should kind of veer away. We've had some some heavy topics lately, Jason uh, and, and Michelle now on board. Michelle, this is your, your first full actual episode it is <laughs> how hopefully, are you hopefully i add some value how are you feeling about it about feel, uh about doing this now i feel great okay yeah <laughs> so uh so we wanted to to kind of change it up a little bit it's summer we're uh we're in the full full swing of summer so we'll we'll talk a little bit about amusement parks but before we jump into that want to go around the room and catch up uh jason how's your your week been good i think the big i think the biggest things that we passed on probably was the holidays right yeah so we didn't really get to touch on that but uh fourth of july is one of my two favorite holidays of the year really yeah um i mean everybody likes the normal ones but easter and fourth of july are actually my two favorites interesting so easter because we need more church if you follow up on our last episode and, uh, and that's the day we should celebrate. But if, uh, but 4th of July is probably like a, a very close second. 
Because you get to blow up stuff? Yeah, I get to blow up stuff. We did a lot of that. Um, but the other reason... Honest- so Jason is conservative if you haven't been able to pick up on it. <laughs> Potentially. The uh, <laughs> I don't want to alienate anybody, so <laughs> I'm going to fire right down the middle. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do own guns, though. But uh, but the, the thing that uh, I love about it, if you look at those two holidays, there's nothing... There's There's like... Nothing behind it. It's just people getting together and having a good time. It's usually yeah. family and friends, food, barbecue, blow up stuff, yeah. you know, whatever the deal is. But uh, there's no like gifts and yeah. all those types of things. It's not formal, you yeah. know. Um, but uh, but it's one Fourth of July. Our we live in Orange. Fireworks aren't legal, mm-hmm. but in Santa Ana they are legal, mm-hmm. and we have like four unincorporated Santa Ana streets around us. Uh, it's a war zone. Yeah. It is so cool. Yeah. I mean, like, we have so much fun. Both sides of our family come over, and, you know, we, we buy the big old pack of fireworks and blow stuff up, and <laughs> I was teaching my son this year, and uh, my brother's a firefighter, so we're good. We're covered. He's okay. usually there. Yeah. Um, but then our neighbors, like, go to Arizona and Nevada. And don't you have, like, on your block, there's, like, cops and firefighters Dude, I've got, all around? I've got, yeah, we've got retired police chiefs. We've got a retired sheriff. I don't know. I don't know what the head of sheriffs are. I don't know if that's a sheriff chief. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't know. <laughs> no disrespect. Yeah. Um, I've got firefighters. And then at the end of our cul-de-sac, it's rad, is the international president for uh, uh, Soldiers for Christ. Okay. So we do a lot of really cool stuff on our street. It's pretty safe. It's pretty sane. But like cops will show up and mm. some of the guys will flash about it. And they'll sit and watch. I mean, that's it's like, it's hmm. insane. Yeah. The neighbors. That, so one of the guys, we call him Uncle Kev. <laughs> Uncle Kev on our street. He's like crazy non-uncle uncle kev guy and he just lights about 10 grand worth of stuff off and then his backyard neighbor a couple streets or a couple houses removed if you will he got jealous of it apparently years ago so he goes and buys so they like just have this like whose finale is better it's a legit disneyland style firework display i mean it's out of control and then going back to like the economy economy is good because they're blowing stuff up everywhere right now so anyway i thought it was pretty cool but uh but so i love that one so I wanted to jump in on some you said about the economy doing yeah. so well. Yeah. This isn't my update, but just a thing that I've noticed is I don't know how many of my friends have been changing jobs. Dude. Uh, some are leaving to, retarded to right pursue uh, house flipping now. Um, so it's it's crazy. that the, That's when you know the economy is kind of getting towards its peak. Is when uh, the house flipping starts up again. It's a volatile time to be flipping houses, too. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not the best of ideas. Yeah. It goes back to the same thing I talked about, like, I think when we did this a while ago. It's like all of a sudden all these general contractors are popping up again. Yep. Not good. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, not good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, Michelle, how has how is your week and weekend been? Good. All good. So it was my birthday a couple of weeks ago. So I'm just settling in to my mid thirties. Yes, thank you. I've I've exited the early thirties. I find that I'm now I, I like to identify now as a mid thirty year old. Um, you certain, seem much more mature. Certain responsibilities <laughs> and challenges with that. Uh, no, just I'm, wait till I'm, you get to my I'm age. Joking. Super mature. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, all is good. You know, it was such a funny time. Uh, the end of June was PCBC, which is the Pacific Coast oh, yeah. Builders Conference. Oh, that's right. Um, which is a great networking opportunity slash boondoggle. Um, <laughs> it's just a lot of events and parties and reconnecting with colleagues. Um, and there's value to that, but it also is an exhaustive two or three or four days, depending on how you kind of line out your schedule. 
And then the week after that was 4th of July, and that was kind of a funny week because the 4th was literally in the middle of the week. So Tuesday felt like a Friday, and then you kind of relaunched on Thursday, but that was my birthday, and then people really weren't back in the office. And so uh, what's exciting is a lot of the, there was kind of a slowdown prior to July, and now we're in July, and things are kind of chugging along, and it's all good. That was like the most unproductive week ever. Yeah. I was so frustrated. I actually found, no, you know what's funny is I actually was super productive because I wasn't, I didn't have all the distractions. I I didn't have, I didn't have emails coming through and phone calls. I sort of was able to just focus and do deep work. Um, I I totally agree. I was super productive, but I'm saying like so many people were like not productive because it was almost like, eh, I don't want to do anything on Monday because I'm really going to be done after Tuesday. Tuesday, they're like already checked out. Thursday, they're still hung over. And Friday, it's like, hey, now it's Friday. I actually was thinking about just like as a as a rule, like what if in the world you just worked Mondays and Tuesdays, Wednesdays was a day off, and then you worked again Thursday and Friday. Not good. No, see, I kind of think that we would be more productive because you you have two days to get done. So Are we allowed to cuss on here? Yeah, you can cuss. I do okay, it all the time. Okay, perfect. Uh, so, yeah. No. The- <laughs> Demetrius try- might bleep me out. I can't remember. We, but- we try not to. Uh, it's bull- Demetrius. So, so I'm- oh, my freaking ears. I will be bleeping all of this. <laughs> but so, but see, here's the funny thing. So you, you, you recently hired a couple individuals. So now how many are you managing? I'm managing two people, but it is a group effort because these two people are working with a team. Then your um, opinion of that will change. Because once you start like managing groups of people, you can really get like a median on on uh, productivity and what it looks like on the whole. And when you have those short day like time spans, it's not nearly what it would be. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. I think they mentioned that in, I think that there's some mention of something like that in the four hour work week. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like right before I'm about to go on a vacation or if I know I'm going to be out of the yeah. office. Yeah. It's the whole, it's, it's like the, when you're, the busier you are, the more productive you are. Sure. Right? Sure. When you have less I agree with that. tasks or things to do, you tend to. You accomplish as much as you have pro- set before you. Correct. Yeah. You, you yeah, sort I of agree. prolong mm-hmm. the task at hand. So. That'll be interesting to find out. Yeah. Uh, I disagree with you. So, <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> so. Uh, Love you, hate you. So. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, I've had my first kind of hiccup financially with the the business. This is a a uh, a reminder to to the business owners uh, to always stay on top of your clients about uh, billing. Billing, dude, that's <laughs> the hardest thing. Yep. So I think you know, in the middle of it, you get so um, kind of wrapped up in getting work done. And you send out an invoice, and you assume that they received it. You have to follow. Oh, no, time up. out. They received it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they received it. They're yeah. just not paying it. Well, they receive it, but you know, everybody right now, everyone's slammed. So I'm, I'm assuming it, it goes in one email, and you know, you're jumping yeah. on something else and just miss it. Sure. Um, so make sure to stay on top. I've started a new thing because, you know, we're all digital now. So I got a timestamp on my invoices and then I got to set a reminder to, you know, follow up and another timestamp once I receive approval 
uh, via email or whatever. So have this whole process that I'm doing now, but stay on top of your invoices. Yeah. Collecting funds is like the hardest thing of, of for one starting a business yeah. and getting it running. It's you'll do well in getting the work. It's getting people to pay it. Not that they won't pay it, Yeah, but like pay it expediently. Yeah. It's just, it's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yep. Um, and then the, the one other thing I wanted to, to leave as an update. Um, so my wife and I use hotels.com. Okay. And, uh, I don't know if you've used, if you guys have used it, but, uh, after so many use or, uh, bookings, you get a free night, uh, or not a free night. You get a, like a credit okay. and then it adds up after 10, you get a free night. Okay. So we had this, uh, email that said that we hadn't, uh, booked a night somewhere in almost a year and that threshold was coming up and once you hit that marker you lose all the the credits, credits that you that you've accumulated so we're like oh crap we gotta use this to try and re- re- uh, retain our, our credits so we ended up staying at the hotel like um right here around the corner okay. for one night just yeah. to save our credits which is like the weirdest experience yeah. i'd like to avoid parking uh fees i we dropped off our stuff and then i drove my car back here to the apartment <laughs> like hooked and, it over yeah and then walked back did uh, you pay for the hotel night or was it yeah yeah so you pay for the hotel night just to maintain I, these credits well it could be worth it if you think about it maybe so but this y- reminds me of my jet blue story which i can share yeah, go ahead. Okay, so we we each got a $100 credit for a flight that actually cost less than $100 because JetBlue had delayed our flight by four hours. And I, to be honest, actually cannot remember where we were flying home from. But it was a short flight. We paid less than $100 for the flight. And yet, because of JetBlue's mishap, we each received a $100 credit. Well, there's a one-year expiration date on that credit. So mm-hmm. after one year you cannot use the credit. Mm -hmm. And we kept trying to find a flight. You know, we travel quite a bit. So we kept trying to use this credit, trying to use a JetBlue flight, but they weren't going to the place we wanted to go or they wasn't the right flight time. And for whatever reason, we just were never able to use Yeah, because where you guys go, you take freaking biplanes or like like (laughs) prop planes sometimes. sometimes. (laughs) So so leading up... Hitting a freaking (laughs) runway of dirt where they're moving the cows or whatever. So, (laughs) So leading up to this expiration, we're like frantically trying to find a place that we can just do a long weekend and take advantage of this credit. And we ultimately let the credit pass because what we figured is we can use this hundred dollar credit, but in the process we're going to spend 3000 (laughs) for a long weekend. Yeah. So, so, so we ran the math really quick and each time that we stayed was, you know, 150 bucks. So it, the math worked out to where if we did it right now, we, although it feels like you're kind of losing money, um, ultimately we sort of the, saved. <laughs> the only thing that I saw about Hotels.com, like, because we, we don't stay that many places, but each couple of weeks ago, I think it was, we went away for so our, our wedding anniversary and my wife's birthday the same day. Yeah. So every year we go away for a weekend at least, just her and I, and, you know, ditch the kids with somebody. And um, anytime I've ever looked on Hotels.com, for where we were staying, it wasn't like a deal. Mm-hmm. Like usually the website itself for that that location would have a better deal or mm-hmm. whatever it is if you book direct. Yeah. So I've never really used one of those sites. Yeah. Um, 
I was disappointed because everybody always talks cool about it. Like yeah. you get these great deals and I'm like, mm, I'm getting yeah, a better the, deal through the there. The individual deals aren't that great. Um, yeah, you can usually get it cheaper straight mm-hmm. through. Um, but the thing that is the savings is once it adds up to that free yeah, night. that makes sense. Um, so, I don't know. We're giving it a shot. So, <laughs> But, um, so we'll jump into the conversation today. Uh, again, we're talking about amusement parks which design-wise are largely more of a planning and engineering exercise. But from an architectural perspective, I always thought it was pretty cool the way that you can create uh, these kind of interesting environments in those different spaces where you're waiting in line or or the kind of different worlds that you create throughout the, the theme park. But to understand more about amusement parks, you have to go back in time. Ancient Rome, the Gardens of Sallus, referred to as a pleasure garden, was developed as a private garden. It contained many pavilions, a temple to Venus, and sculptures. The gardens were acquired by the Roman Emperor Tiberius to open for public use. In 1583, a natural spring in a large forest park of Denmark was believed to have curative properties. It attracted large crowds, entertainers, and innkeepers. The site, known as Bakken, further developed over time and is now considered the world's first amusement park. By the 18th century, traveling or periodic fairs, pleasure gardens, and exhibitions such as world's fairs became public entertainment for the masses. Pleasure gardens, a more romantic setting, had tightrope walkers, hot air balloon ascents, concerts, and fireworks. Fairs were places where the public could view freak shows, acrobatics, conjuring and juggling, take part in competitions, and walk through menageries. The World's Fairs began in 1851 with the construction of the Crystal Palace in London, England. The purpose was to celebrate the industrial achievement around the world. The World's Columbian Exposition of 1893 in Chicago, Illinois set out to amaze visitors with a blaze of lights, an amusement concession area known as the Midway, and the first steel Ferris wheel. This period was an era of rapid economic growth where many Americans had more disposable income. Amusement parks capitalized on an opportunity opening across the United States and Canada. A need for more exciting entertainment led to the development of the roller coaster. Early designs featured sleds or wheeled carts that were sent down hills of snow reinforced by wooden supports. At the same time, popularity of waterside parks and piers followed. Blackpool Beach in England, Steel Pier in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and Coney Island in New York. It's almost like a a carnival. You know, there's people on the boardwalk, you know, everybody's walking, there's people dancing, there's musicians, there's puppet shows, there's games, there's rides, it's, you know, an amusement park and a beach, and, but it has this urban flavor to it. So, it's just a little different. It's not your usual state fair. As a kid, when I was a teenager, we would come here, you know, the whole summer, stay at Bay 14, and we'd eat before we'd get on the train to go home. I lived in Brooklyn at the time. They used to have an orange aid. At that time, for a nickel, the Frankfurters were, I think, 10 cents. That, I was lucky then, I didn't have to pay. <laughs> After the war changed. After the Second World War, I'd say, Coney Island changed. I, I personally feel. Prior to the World War, Coney Island was 
that thing. Coney Island, yeah. Because you can get here for five cents. From all over, from Queens, from Manhattan, from the Bronx, all over. The Great Depression of the 1930s, World War II during the 40s, and a series of social changes in the 1950s, such as an exodus from urban to suburban areas, subsequent urban decay and increase in crime, and the popularity of television all led to a decline in the amusement park industry. Unexpectedly, the creator of a cartoon mouse who had entertained Americans since the 1920s reignited interest. Walt Disney aimed to create a theme park that captured the magic of the Disney film experience, which ultimately initiated the niche of theme parks. SeaWorld, Legoland, Knott's Berry Farm, and Universal Studios, for example. With an innovative financing and marketing approach, Disney obtained funding for Disneyland Project from the ABC network by agreeing to produce a weekly television show that followed its development. Ready or not, the park opened in 1955, as many Americans watched the grand opening on record-breaking live broadcasts. The park was a success and drew 1 million visitors during its first 10 weeks despite operational challenges on day one, where rides broke down because of electric overload, restaurants ran out of food and drinks, and women's high heel shoes sank into fresh asphalt. In 1961, Six Flags Over Texas opened in Arlington, Texas. Originally, the Texas history-themed Six Flags referred to the flags of the six different nations that have governed Texas. Spain, France, Mexico, the Republic of Texas, the Confederate States of America, and the United States. The park featured theme rides, but over time, many were replaced with roller coasters. By this time, Technology evolved to feature railroad track using wheeled cars that were securely locked to the track. Newer innovations emerged in the early 20th century with side friction and under friction technologies to allow for greater speeds and sharper turns. By the mid to late 20th century, these elements intensified with the introduction of steel roller coaster designs and the ability for them to invert riders. The water theme park was another concept that followed Disneyland's lead. The first opened in Newberry Springs, California in 1962, but it wasn't until the late 70s that the concept took hold. While Wet n Wild in Orlando was the first premier water park in the US in 1977, Action Park was the park that lived in infamy. You'd see like a kid in the summer covered in friction burns and you'd just be like, oh, how was Action Park? Accident Park. Part of the fun was actually surviving the day. Traction Park. The slides were higher, the rides were faster. Class Action Park. We got a reputation as being the wildest amusement park in the world. It's been shut for almost 20 years and I think no amusement park has caught up to its death toll yet. If you told somebody about this, it sounds like you're making stuff up. The action Opened in Vernon, New Jersey in 1978, its popularity went hand-in-hand -hand with the reputation for poorly designed rides, under-trained, underage staff, intoxicated guests and staff, and consequently a poor safety record. 
At least six people are known to have died as a result of mishaps on rides at the park. Personal injury lawsuits led to the closure of more and more rides and eventually the entire park in 1996. From a simple garden getaway to roller coasters that accelerate to 149 miles per hour in just 4.5 seconds, amusement parks have come a long way. These parks have become a source of fantasy and escape from real life. Parkgoers continue to look for more and it appears digital technology will be the next innovation to provide the excitement and escape that they seek. So what are your thoughts on that, uh, that little brief history, Jason? You were uh, kind of enjoying action parks. Yeah. The funny part was it was reminding me there was, some, there, was a, there was a death in an amusement park in the last few months. I can't remember where it was at. But uh, they had to shut it down because somebody hit like a screen. It was it's a huge slide. It was a water slide, uh. huge slide, and somebody hit like the screen above it. I can't remember which one. I was, it might have been in Texas again. Huh. I don't remember. But you know the funny. I've been to a lot of different amusement parks, and I, when we originally started talking about the topic, I didn't even think about the water parks. Yeah. You know, and I've been to plenty of those too, which which are fun and not very sanitary but (laughs) (laughs) that's the one thing i think about with water parks yeah but uh that's crazy i mean the amount of death tolls that they said they had there yeah that's that's pretty nuts but not surprising the the amusement park is kind of a broad term so it has all of the you know normal parks that have random rides and different things like that and then you have the theme park which is like disneyland legoland uh all of those and then you got the water park which still falls under that amusement park because we've done as a family well at least in my time and then with some of the family we've done uh legoland we did legoland quite a bit uh, about a year ago only because we had a bunch of hockey like youth hockey games and in carlsbad yeah so it was right there and they had great deals on an annual park it was nice it's small yeah it's very small but it was actually nice and it was almost as clean as disneyland which to me is like the pinnacle i mean that place is spotless so the funny thing about Legoland, I for the longest time thought the Lego, the Legoland here, I thought that was like the first Legoland ever. Yeah. But there's actually where the original Lego store is. Was it Denmark? I yeah. believe. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where they started the first yeah. one. I was shocked to find that out. Um, so speaking of Denmark, I think yeah. you mentioned it in the in the history overview. Yeah. Uh, it was Tivoli Gardens. Uh, did you mention it maybe not i can't remember (laughs) okay but a lot of the history that you touched on uh, reminds me of tivoli and it's that old world feeling and cotton candy and Mm -hmm. um shows and yeah you have some wooden coasters but it not to the level that it would be today if you were to go to magic mountain six flags magic mountain for example um but good stuff yeah when was the last time you were at a amusement park michelle Honestly, it's been a while. It's been an unusually long time. Yeah. There hasn't really been a good reason to go. Just where I am in terms of my life stage. I don't have kids yet. And so we haven't had a good excuse. But I would say you might be able to include the zoo mm-hmm. as an amusement park. Right? Uh, yeah, zoos, I, I guess they would consider it a theme park. Yeah, zoos these days, right? So the zoos these days oftentimes add amusement 
to right. it in terms of rides yeah. and certainly the entertainment component that you would see in a typical amusement park. Yeah, like SeaWorld uh, I was, SeaWorld. was originally, I guess you could originally call it a uh, an aquarium type place to some extent, but they're starting to scale back because of the was it Blackfish Dude, it was, uh, yeah, which was uh, a documentary. great documentary. I don't know if uh, it's right or wrong or whatever. I'm just saying it was a great documentary. Um, SeaWorld has worked really hard since that documentary to i guess reevaluate some of the choices that they've made i think they've done a pretty decent job at sort of rebranding and refocusing what they're about and what they ought to be about so i think they are introducing roller coasters now as well it's like a manta something yeah 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 so they're um shifting gears there um rightly so uh definitely definitely rightly so i was gonna say we have uh uh, annual pass annual pass holders to Disneyland. My wife and the kids go pretty frequently, actually. Thank gosh, because the passes are getting more and more expensive. Like every month, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do a lot of Disneyland. I haven't been to Knotts in a while. I'd like to go to Knotts. Oh yeah. Uh, like I said, we did Legoland. We do Sea World, and then my favorite, which I haven't gone with the family, is uh, Magic Mountain. So, yeah. So we had the Universal Studios. Okay. Uh, pass for like two years i think so we did that all um i don't know as much as we could probably four or five times and city walk's pretty cool too yeah everything's so expensive there yeah um i think just because of the 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 price of um the the rental there the real estate yeah. yeah the real estate is so expensive um i don't know it just i'd rather bring food or eat right before and <laughs> wait till afterwards i but actually forgot all about universal studios but you can't pass on the cinnabon on the way out that's the one thing and they always get you because it's the last shop on your way to the parking garage my dude disneyland i buy that whole sourdough mickey head i haven't seen that because they have that boudin uh sourdough bread like factory there yeah. at california adventure right okay it's the two parks right you got disneyland you got california adventure I buy one every time and yeah. I probably eat two thirds of it myself. Like <laughs> so good. Well, if we're going to talk about food, I remember as a kid, the funnel cake at magic mountain, magic mountain. Oh yeah. The funnel what cake was where it was at. And I had like a funnel cake. Where else do you get a funnel oh, cake? Not very far. That's why I was thinking Knott's yeah. Berry Farm, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think Knott's. Fried chicken. Knott's Berry Farm. Knott's was more yeah. known for the funnel cake. Yeah. Then Magic Mountain. Yeah, I don't remember even. I don't even I, remember. I that think at all. maybe I, you know, I grew up in Ventura County, which is yeah, a hop, skip, and a jump away from Magic Mountain. Yeah. Whereas coming to Orange County was sort of an event. Um, <laughs> yeah. If we were yeah. going to go to Disneyland or we're going to go to Knott's, um, it was kind of a bigger to do than ditching school for yeah. a day. Yeah. Uh, with parental supervision <laughs> to, uh, to Six Flags. Yeah. So uh, to go back to that point about the cost of the real estate um so if you were let's say you were developing your own amusement park mm-hmm. what would you guess so they have kind of a, a rule of thumb that developers should anticipate on investing um for their first and the way that they do it is investing per expected first year guess we say again investing per uh an amount per expected first year guess so this is what they would anticipate basically in investing into uh, the, their land cost or the whole development costs. Per, you're saying per guest? Yeah. 
per anticipated guess. 500 No, it can't be. 500 bucks? No, no, no. It's not that high. So it's $100 per anticipated guess in one year. So, for example, the the average attendance of the top 25 uh, theme parks or amusement parks um, in the world were around 9 million attendees per year. So if you looked at that development cost, your assumption would be $900 million invested uh, to develop that part. Okay. So, um, Jeez. Yeah. It's a big number. Yeah. And it, it's scaled significantly over the years. In the 1950s, the rule of thumb or the, the average um, was $36.25. Okay. Wow. And right now, or in the 2000s, the average was above what that rule of thumb is. It's $212. Uh, 43 cents so um these things can get super expensive obviously like the mega theme parks like disneyland universal studios those can cost uh two billion to four billion dollars uh for the development i don't don't doubt it and i don't know i the thing that i was struggling with is or uh thinking about is where do you even find that much land anymore? Oh yeah, Michelle, you would have you know some uh, some thoughts to that of acquiring that much land. That would be. I don't think it exists. I mean, if you really think about it, like that'd be a whole lot of tear down. I, I mean, guess kind of absorb. I mean, because you even look at like Disneyland here in Anaheim. Yeah. I mean, they basically just wait for somebody to want to put something up for sale and then buy it. Yeah. And and then the competition as well. Is, yeah. You know, you got to compete with Disneyland, Magic Mountain. Oh, dude, it's um, over. Well, but, I think of it. It's you're you're really repurposing is what you're doing. Yeah. You're not necessarily going out and identifying raw True. infill property to put a 300 or 400 acre amusement park yeah. on it. So what I found interesting going back to the action park um, is that in night. So the the park closed in 1996. Yeah. Right. So in 1998, IntraWest, uh, which is a resort developer, mm-hmm. um, purchased the majority of that ski area that the that action park was built on top of, mm-hmm. and um, and then did a massive overhaul and got rid of all the attractions that were deemed inappropriate or had <laughs> or life terminated terminated lives <laughs> or thrilling. We laugh about it, but they got rid of those. Yeah. And they actually reopened uh, a water park that is called Mountain Creek Water Park. And so to your question about where do you find that land, I think you find it by looking for property that isn't going to be that again. So uh, I think a good example would be, you know, movie drive-ins, right? So the the drive-in theater is is dead, unfortunately, that people don't do that anymore, at least not in California. Maybe, you know, so there's probably some still... Midwest towns yeah. that, that do that and good for them. They should. Yeah. But I think, you know, finding property like that, that is just vacant, massive land areas. Yeah. One, one that did all right was, uh, is it great wolf lodge? Oh yeah. That's here. So it's kind of a different take, right? It's like a hotel and then you've got like an indoor water park. My kids and them have been, I have not personally been there, but it's an indoor water park. So it's gotta be of good size. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I would imagine. Yeah. A little bit of a different spin. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually um, kind of a interesting concept. Uh, the thing I hate about that place, I've only been once, but you go in and it's extremely muggy. Like humid. Yeah, yeah it's humid. Water inside, right? Weird smelling. 
I, I can't get on board with the indoor pools. It never is a good environment when no, you walk into those you. things. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. But um, to your point, Michelle, about the um, you know repurposing, I think who's it? Disneyland and Universal are kind of doing that. They're basically expanding into adjacent areas, yeah. um, buying adjacent you know land and um, definitely and, and converting yeah. it into. That. Yeah, you look at you look at what. Disneyland is doing in Anaheim, California, and a lot of their expansion has been done on what has historically been surface parking lots. Correct. And so they're finding ways to create more efficient parking, or they're counting on public transit or ride sharing now. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's that's a very recent trend. Yeah. But they're finding ways to consolidate parking and make parking go vertical yeah. uh, so that they can utilize what typically was just a sea of, of surface parking lots. That's funny. I remember going to Disneyland and it was that massive lot, just a flat lot Correct. and you would park and walk Not all more. the way up. And uh, yeah, didn't even in, I didn't even think about it till you said that, but it's pretty much all gone. The, 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 most the parking structures they've built there, I mean, are just gigantic. Yeah. I mean, well thought out, well executed, but just gigantic. Yeah. It's pretty unreal. So developing an amusement park, I saw, I thought this was extremely short. I I can't fathom it being this quick, but they uh, estimate three-year turnaround for the development of of an amusement park. And they average about uh, 300 acres. For an entire amusement park? Yeah. No way. Yeah, that's a no. I mean, I don't. I, I think it's kind of hard to even like fathom. I, I would say for them to add on sections, mm-hmm. so like take Disneyland right now, and the only look as we're doing this, you know, semi-local centric, right? But I think they're doing what is a Star Wars land or something of that mm-hmm. effect, and that's taking them a couple and a half years, yeah, to do that. So I get like a land or like a you know section like a, yeah. being that, but the, if you were to try to do ground up like an entire, there's no way it's three years. No way. Yeah. There's no way. I mean, apartment complexes take, like, how long? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, a year and a half, two years? There's yeah, no way you're going years. through. Yeah. There's no way you're doing a thing. So, whoever said that one, I got to challenge a little bit. Yeah. Because the uh, assembly of, uh, or construction of, like, a roller coaster is about, um, what they've said is about a year and a half. Right. So, um, I mean, if you are flying and you have, you know, everybody has their their section dialed in and you know no no hiccups at all maybe because i think if you're like tying into something but to go to take a completely like not bare or even like to have to reconstruct an area Mm -hmm. of land to create an entire amusement park yeah all the infrastructure that has to go in for that there's no and plus then constructing rides like there's no way that's three years yeah no way yeah so the um so kind of jumping back to what we were talking about with the acquiring land and, and whatnot, uh, China actually has a freeze on amusement parks right now. And there's a couple of reasons why they've done it. One is the debt because so many businesses are, you know, just jumping into new, new projects and racking up all this debt. And the second, which I found interesting is, um, people are disguising housing and office projects as theme parks. I'm not quite sure how you do that. Uh, 
what kind of extracurricular activities are we talking about? <laughs> I could understand something being like something land yeah. being potentially thrilling, but I don't know about it being, well, it could be a different kind of ride. <laughs> it's, you know, the, the way that I, it's hard to kind of find uh, details on it, but what I imagine is, you know, all the hotels and all the other stuff that you have to, um, yeah. to support a, a theme park. Company, yeah. yeah. Um, them doing something like that and then just, you know, putting very minimal effort into the actual park, uh, with the intention of basically shutting that part of it down at some point in the near future. Um, that sounds kind of weird. Yeah. But I thought it was really interesting. And then some other kind of trends going forward technology. Have you noticed any? advancements uh last since you guys go um you got the whole family have you guys noticed anything jason yeah, i i think the technological advancements are difficult to see if they are there okay um i mean there's always updates to rides so disneyland uh-huh. uh when was the last time you went there probably a couple months ago because that one had one of the coolest things that i that i saw um i don't know if you guys uh had this but they apparently they have a a wristband kind of a personalized wristband okay and this may this may be disney world which you might not have Mm. seen that one yet no um so they have a personalized wristband so as you're walking around the park uh it documents all your fast pass times sure you can pay with it sure and then even to the point of when you get on a ride it engages with the ride to make a more personalized experience. So like if you have a favorite character, that character will pop up more or something, something along those lines. I haven't seen that at Disneyland. So maybe that's a Disney world thing then. Yeah. Um, Which I thought was really cool because I guess kind of one of the trends now is that they're um, it's a mass entertainment site, but they're trying to personalize it as much as possible. Mm which is an interesting dichotomy when you it's have a lot of people to try and personalize. Yeah. That. Yeah. Well, I think of like technological advances. I think one of the coolest things that I saw and I am not a Harry Potter fan. Let me lead with that. <laughs> yeah. But I found myself at Universal Studios about a year ago with all of my cousins, my first cousins who all have young kids and so we spent a fair amount of time in is it called Harry Potter World or I don't know what the land is called at Universal. Again, not oh, a Harry, not a Harry Potter fan. The Wizarding Oh jeez. My wife's going to get mad at me. It'll come to the, us. The Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Perfect. I, I that. think is what yeah, it's so called. Yeah, so we were there and one of the technological advances that I just thought was so cool was this wand concept where Oh yeah. where you purchase a wand, right? And I think they go for a pretty penny. They're like yeah, I think 40 they're like 50 or 60 bucks, bucks yeah. right? And again, you're handing it to your 3-year-old. Yeah. And you know, with the wand, you go around to different places within different shops and you you make, is it wishes with your wand or you you do commands? Again, I'm not a Harry Potter. I'm so butchering <laughs> this. But but just the interaction with a wand that you spells. have purchased. Spells. Okay, so an interaction <laughs> that with, with the wand that you as a guest have purchased and then to be able to go around and interact, um, not in a ride, not in a formal setting, just sort of on your own time and finding these spots within um, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, <laughs> yeah. I just thought was really, really neat. 
um, and just such an interactive way to use technology, kind of in a different way than we're talking about with the wristband. Yeah. And then the other thing we didn't even mention, um, going back to, I think it was like the late 80s with, um, at Disneyland, Michael Jackson's uh, Captain EO movie. 3D has made a huge comeback. And it seems like every single ride at, at Universal, um, Universal Studios has, has gone down the route of 3D. And I think a few other theme parks are starting to, to include it as well. But um, Or even going back in time to, was it the late 90s when FastPass was mm-hmm. introduced at Disneyland? Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I remember, you know, that time when I was frequenting Disneyland more often, you know, that was a really exciting technological advancement that, my gosh, you didn't have to wait in line for an hour and 20 minutes any longer for the yeah. log ride. Like yeah. you could, you could get your fast pass, go have a bite to eat and then come back and uh, think, use your time more efficiently. So on that note of the wizarding world of Harry Potter, it's like the longest title ever. They're also trying to do... Um, kind of other interactive things i don't know if you got a chance to go uh michelle if you got a chance to go into the uh what is it called the olivander's wand shop does that uh sound familiar it does i stood outside so because i'm not a fan of harry potter i was really just enjoying their butter butter beer butter beer yes and witnessing all of the commotion around me yeah uh, side note, I know how to make an alcoholic butterbeer. I mean, why aren't we tastes... drinking them right now? You I'm kind of disappointed. Lost me entirely. I could care less about Harry Potter or or beer for that matter. It, it's not it's... beer. It's non-alcoholic. Butterbeer yeah, is non-alcoholic. That also sounds like a horrible idea because you I understand most of You will love it. <laughs> it's like a cream soda kind of flavor, um, but I'm going to make some for, for one of our episodes. Uh, we'll, we'll try it out. Um, don't touch me with your wand or whatever else. <laughs> I just want to make like, very clear. Jeez. <laughs> oh, um, so back to my original point, uh, they're on the interactive side. They're trying to do like the, um, uh, the escape room type of feel. So that wand shop thing is similar in that you go into this room they have actors that, uh, go through this whole, ceremony of selecting a wand and uh engage with you know a room of 10 to 15 people or something like that so again just trying to personalize things and um break up the the mass and then uh energy efficiency um, sure. and then the last thing um and then we'll get to kind of the energy uh in another episode we're going to talk about lead and whatnot um, and then the last thing is the food and food and drink quality. Um, so our, our generation is more in tune. We talked about it in our restaurant episode, much more in tune with, uh, healthy eating. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to upgrade basically what they offer and allow you to customize it a little bit more. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I wanted to do one, one quick fun thing before we go. Uh, if you guys want to engage in this, a quick quiz to, to test your knowledge about amusement parks.
ready? Yep. You guys can battle it out, Jason and Michelle, and our listeners. Let's see how, how well you do on this. At a staggering height of 456 feet, which is the world's tallest roller coaster? Is it multiple choice? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> so the Intimidator, uh, 305 at King's Dominion. Superman, Escape from Kryptonite at Six Flags. Kingda Ka at Six Flags Great Adventure. Uh, Leviathan in Canada's Wonderland. Canada's too reserved. Can't be Canada. I'm going with C. C. I thought it was Superman at one point, but that may there's be There's no way. Old. Superman is... There's no way. So the answer... Yes, you're right, Michelle. Uh, King de Ka. That's right. <laughs> so, Michelle, you get one point. What's the prize? Um, what am I playing for? Bragging rights. Okay. <laughs> uh, formula... Formula Rosa, the world's fastest roller coaster, reaches which of these top speeds? 131 miles an hour, 135 miles an hour, 142 miles an hour, or 149? 142. I, I think I mentioned this in the history, if you were listening. Yeah, That's, I want to say I remembered 142, but that might not be right. I'm going with 135. It was 149. Dang. <laughs> wow. I like that. I think it was uh, 4.5 seconds. Yeah, it was something crazy. I was like, yeah. dude. All right. Opened in 1846, which is the oldest continually operating amusement park in the United States? Lake Compounds, Coney Island, Cedar Point, or Six Flags New England? The easy ones to say Coney Island. Coney Island. That's what I would say, yeah. Wrong. Oh, my gosh. Dang it. Lake Compounds. Where is that? Uh, Compounds. Compounds. Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. Bristol, Connecticut. Who knew? (laughs) Which is the newest of the four theme parks at Walt Disney World in Orlando? Hollywood Studios, Animal Kingdom, Magic Kingdom, or Epcot? Hollywood Studios. Yeah, that would have been my guess. Wrong. What? <laughs> Animal Kingdom. No way. Uh, opened in 1998. No way. That's crazy. <laughs> they need to do a better job at advertising Hollywood <laughs> Studios. I've never heard of it. Uh, which spot has been named the world's most beautiful amusement park for 26 consecutive years by the National Amusement Park Historical Association? Dollywood, Hershey Park, Disneyland, or Bush Gardens? Dollywood. Michelle? Bush Gardens? Bush Gardens is correct. Dang. Ah, man. <laughs> Gardens, you know. Yeah, no, it seemed too obvious to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Home to more than 26 water parks, which city is known as the water park capital of the world? Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin, Orlando, Florida, Branson, Missouri, San Antonio, Texas. Texas. Orlando, but that seems obvious to me. Uh, Wisconsin Dales. They have a ton of water parks there. Who knew? (laughs) Uh, Which once closed amusement park now opens to visitors once a year? Diggerland, Rush Mountain Adventure Park, Land of Oz, or Wonderland? 
Land of Oz. That's kind of what I was thinking. Correct. Yes. Land of Oz. I'm on the board. Still losing, <laughs> but I'm on the board. Which late night host recently got his own ride at Universal Studios Florida? Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, Conan O'Brien, or Stephen Colbert? Jeez. Who's the, who's guess? the redhead dude? What's his name again? <laughs> Conan. Yeah, that guy. Let's I'm go Conan. go with Stephen Colbert. Okay. I feel like he's a better known entity. Both wrong. <sighs> Jimmy Fallon. Oh, that was my first gut reaction and I didn't go <laughs> with it. Always go with the gut. Darn. Always go with the gut. Fallon opened in 2017 at uh, Universal Studios Florida. The ride is described as the world's first ever flying theater. Uh, last two questions. At the Wizarding, here we go again. At the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, I got it right. Which number should you dial in the phone booth near King's Cross Station for a magical surprise? All the Harry Potter fans probably if know If you this. could see the way Jason and I are looking at each other right now, what kind of question is oh, this? Man. So what? your your options... D. Your, <laughs> is, there, is there E, all of the above? <laughs> so your options are 42779, Harry? Is there an 8675309? No. 62442, Magic... I guess these are these numbers correlate Let's to these go with words. Harry. I'm gonna go with magic. Uh, I'll go with Harry Nine two six three seven wands or seven six two seven three Snape. That's a character. I, I, I'm, I yeah. I'm gonna go with magic. Jason, you're going Harry? Yeah. It's a wild it, guess. <laughs> magic. That's right, Jason. <laughs> Take notes. Uh, last question. F- smoked, man. Yeah, you did. Uh, so this is just for pride. Tower of Terror at Disney California Adventure will be replaced in 2017. You gotta know this. It this was replaced. Uh, oh, yeah, was replaced with a new freefall ride based on which popular movie? Star Wars: The Force Awakens, The Avengers. Guardians of the Galaxy or Finding Dory? Guardians of the Galaxy and such a disappointment because Terror of Tower was awesome. <laughs> Jason? Well, Star Wars Land's coming, so I don't think it's that one. No, yeah, Star Wars Land. Mm-mm. No? Gut. Guardians of the Galaxy. Wow. Bingo. I didn't watch that movie either. Bingo. You got and you say you, and you say you go to Disneyland all the time. Yeah, Whatever. for the sourdough. <laughs> <laughs> You got destroyed on this one, Jason. Yeah. Uh, so, I think, do you guys have anything else that you'd like to uh, kind of bring up before Apparently we close? I need to shut up. That. <laughs> before we close this out. All right. Um, so, we will uh, kind of wrap this up. Um, and one quick thing for listener mail. Got a post on uh, Instagram, Jason. You'll get you'll like this one. DM Renovations CLT said he's checked out the podcast. So there was a conversation on Instagram, and this guy is talking to another guy, and he said, 
I've checked out the Spaces podcast page, and the podcast uh, seems to be legit. I think everyone could value from their easy listening content. Uh, and then he wraps, uh, wrangles in a couple other people uh, to this conversation. And then he said, it makes you motivated. There you go. I uh, like that. As F, I'll censor myself. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, Spaces podcast. Uh, my friend would be a good guest on your show, blah, blah, blah. That's uh, cool. So, yeah, I didn't know we were motivating. I don't know. We'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. And then one other uh, comment that I got was a request to do fortresses. Fortresses? Yeah. Like the ones I build with my kids out of pillows and blankets? Uh, a little more substantial. Okay. Uh, and probably still standing. So, uh, How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> So in the future, uh, maybe we'll we'll jump in, figure out a way to do the uh, fortress episode. Uh, let us know if you think that's a good idea. Let us know if you have any comments uh, about we what we talked about today. Uh, to do that, feel free to send us an email to hello at spacespodcast.com, or you can engage with us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, or LinkedIn. All Spaces Podcasts. You should be able to find us pretty easily. Um, so with all that said, thank you again for spending some time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and like it and forward a link to your friend. Your support is the only way that this show grows. And if you just stumbled upon the show, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Also check out spacespodcast.com under the listen tab for photos, notes, uh, and things that we talked about today. But before you go next time on Spaces Podcast. The Pearl is the tallest, most advanced building in the world. You've built a vertical city, but you've brought with it every single safety and security challenge that I could think of. We thought this floor was empty. So did I. Not only have you brought them all indoors, but you've trapped them 240 floors in the air. No one really knows what would happen if things go wrong. For many years, historians of Chicago architecture felt that the home insurance building designed by William LeBaron Jenny from 1884 was, was the moment, the moment when all of, all of the right technical innovations came together to um, result in a skyscraper. And if you're catching up, hit next, or if you're listening to these as we put them out, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, 
I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.